Welcome back, Rian. Uh, if you're not sure if that's you, Rian, is Rian Nietling, so let me point him out. See, Algo's back after his three months holiday. I'm joking. It's great to see familiar faces back to our visitors. Uh, I didn't see where you at. Also, just from my side, welcome to our service. Trust that you will experience truth tonight, um, but also family. Um, we tend to just rush through life, running on our own, uh, and forget that we were adopted into a family. We are called sons and daughters. And so my prayer for all of us for this year, 2024, is that we will experience God's presence and His faithfulness in every aspect of our lives. May there be moments where you are just left astonished with God's presence. In the moments when you need it most, expect it least, may God's faithfulness guide you. So many great testimonies already just from last year where we prayed specifically into it, trusted for that, um, and we will share some of those testimonies in the weeks to come. May that be true for all of us. And may we live this year, not just this year, but may we make this year the start, if you've not done it, where we live lives set apart for Him. Live lives set apart for Him. What does that mean? And so we'll start by preaching on that and I'll do that a little bit later. Um, but you heard that there's a prayer fast. And so I like this time of the year because every year we start the year in the same way. If you've been here, you know how we do it. 637 congregations in 82 countries, all preaching on the same sermon series. And for one whole week, praying and fasting together. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's, I don't know how many thousands of people listening and acting on God's words and setting out a whole week. And so when we go into this time next week, don't let it just be another week. Don't book out the time so, okay, yes, I will skip a meal, lunch or, or dinner and then just fill it with work just to get past that meal time and forget about food. But really use that time to see God in prayer. And so what is our sermon series? The sermon series is focused on the word holiness. And that's also our theme for this year, holiness. And so what comes to mind when I, when I mention the word holiness? Holiness to some is an outward action, an outward appearance. What we say or do or don't say and don't do, that's holiness. It is rules and regulations imposed on us to try and get us to confine, to look like people that are trying to get us to follow these rules and regulations. And if that is you, I want to comfort you tonight. That is not holiness. So what is holiness? In its essence, holiness means the following. You see the boxes? They are all together. Holiness means to be set apart. To be set apart. To be not part of something, but to be set apart. Now let me just clarify, that does not mean I get tired of this friendship group or specific entity and then I decide to leave and I live on my own or I get another group. That is not being set apart. That is you acting on a will and a choice. Being set apart, holiness in its essence means that in that moment, 
where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you proclaimed Him, confessed Him with your lips as Lord. In that moment, you were no longer looked upon as an alien, a foreigner, but as a son and daughter. And God separated you unto Him for His purposes. For His purposes. And so may that be your prayer individually. God, help me to live a life set apart for your purpose, for my life. Collectively, can we pray that together for this church? That this will not just be another church, but in the community that we have been placed, that we have been called to be, Linwood, Menlo Park, Brooklyn, some areas touching into Garsfontein, may we be a church that is set apart, that makes a difference. A city on a hill with the lights shining bright. May that be true of us. And so immediately I can see the question, so what does it look like to live a life set apart? And so in the next few weeks, we will help you to understand the biblical view of holiness. And so in four weeks, we will preach on holiness lost, which is what I'm preaching on tonight. Holiness restored, holiness lived, don't miss that night. I'm going to do a life-threatening exercise. Holiness lift. And then holiness completed. So you can open your Bibles with me as we jump into the scripture for tonight, which is in Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Now allow me just to give you some context before we read. If you've grown up in church, you tend to look at this chapter and you take out certain details and you move on. And the details might sound like the following. Yes, there was a snake. The snake uh, deceived a lady called Eve. Uh, her husband, Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit. They disobeyed God and God chased them out of the garden. Yes, that's sort of the summary for most people on this chapter. But that would be a huge mistake that would be a huge mistake why do i say that because in a specific moment in chapter 3 verse 6 god's creation purpose for mankind was altered and in that moment sickness sorrow hate anger anxiety fear death all became part of mankind became part of our life so it's not just a story about a cute snake and an apple, which is not an apple, but we tend to get confused with the fruit. This moment altered the human creation purpose that God put in place. And in that moment, evil came into God's creation. And holiness, being set apart unto God for God's purposes, in that moment, it was lost. Can you see the seriousness of this chapter? Let's read verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the women, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the women said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the women, let me just maybe pause there quickly and get confusion out of the way again. The serpent, not a normal snake. And so if you are taking notes, write down Revelation 12 verse 2. Write down Revelation 20 verse 9. It's the other way around. Revelation 12 verse 9. Revelation 20 verse 2. And there you will see, it says the dragon that was thrown down to earth, the serpent, Satan, who deceived the world. And so all snakes are not evil. Satan is evil. So don't get confused. You laughed. I'll tell you a story later. But the serpent, verse 4, said to the women, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, out, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You need to understand that up until this stage, up until this moment, Adam and Eve had everything. What did they lack? Nothing. There was no evil. There was no stealing and murdering and all the things that we, we see in a broken world. Not part of their lives. They had no cares. No worries about where the next tuition fee will come from, the next fuel in the tank will come from bread to eat, clothes to wear, no cares, nothing. Who would want to live in a world like that? They did. They had, if this is something you desire, the highest position known to mankind. They ruled and reigned over all of creation. God made them in his image and he said, Rule and reign over creation. And here's the thing. They walked with God daily. Have you ever walked into the house? You know, your father's been using that same deodorant for the last 40 years, 50 years, and suddenly he changes. He wants to feel young again. I'm not talking out of uh, experience. And immediately, it's like, who's in the house? What deodorant? They were so close to God that they knew Him intensely, intimate. They knew His character. They knew everything about Him. They heard His footsteps 
They knew that it was the Father walking in the garden because they knew Him. They had everything. And in a moment, they gave it all up. What happened here? What happened here? How is it possible that you can have everything and in one moment give it all up? Two things. Satan used two tactics in this whole conversation. Two tactics to bring about the fall of man. And here's the thing. It is the same two tactics that he is still using to either get you to give up everything or to keep you away from God because of shame. What is those two things? Temptation and deception. Temptation and deception. Temptation is not a sin. Yes, when you are tempted with something and you do not give in to it and act on it, it is not a sin. We are all tempted daily. Yes, let's not be holy. But it's when you give in to that temptation that it becomes a sin. And in this passage which we'll look at now, we see that Eve was tempted in three areas. Three areas. But it's only when Adam and Eve took off the fruit and ate that they sinned and holiness was lost. The same three areas that she was tempted in is the same three areas Jesus tempted in when he comes out of the desert, which is the same three areas you and I will be tempted on daily. Because his tactics not changed and the purpose still the same. To remove us, to set us apart, to separate us from God. And so how was Eve tempted? Verse 6. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, the tree was physically appealing. It would satisfy a physical need. The tree was physical appealing. Our physical need is not just hunger and food. It is that one-night stand. It is that last shot. It is that idolizing of an outward appearance, ideal body, that feeds a physical need. You become hooked. It's not wrong to train and be healthy, but you become hooked on it. It gives you a sense of worth. In that moment, the tree was physically appealing to her. It would satisfy a physical need. Jesus coming out of the desert. The devil looked at him and he said, knowing that he's hungry, surely you can say to these rocks, become bread. You see the physical temptation. Second one, verse 6. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree had aesthetic appeal. It was pleasing to the eyes. In that moment, she lusted. She, there was a covet feeling 
for, for whatever this tree was about to give. A desire and a lust for that car, that house, that bike, that job with everything that comes with it. That desire for that human being, being a lady or a man. There was a desire for something that was pleasing to the eye. Satan saying to Jesus, you bow down before me. Look, all these kingdoms as far as you can see. Eyes, desire of the eyes, I will give unto you. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And listen to this. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise the tree enticed her intellectually it could make her more it could make her more you see the irony in this what is the irony she already had the highest position she was co-leader authority helper to the husband to lead creation she wanted more. If you eat of this fruit, eat will make you the same as God. Now again, it's not wrong to aspire position or, or have goals to become a CEO or whatever it is that you aspire to. It is one, it's when it becomes something that you idolize and you move moral standards out of the way to achieve it. And this is what happened here. Eve was tempted in these three areas. And we need to understand that it's the same thing that is happening to us daily. And as I shared some just examples, you know that you know that this is true. But here's the thing in Corinthians, Paul writes to the church and he says, No temptation is unique to man. And it will not overcome you. It doesn't have the power to overthrow you. But in that moment, God will make a way out for you. In every temptation, know that you are not unique. Everybody is tempted. And everybody is tempted in the same three areas. And know that God has empowered you to say no. And know that God is making a way out. Such is this tactic and the seriousness of this tactic that even John writes about it. In the book of 1 John, verse 2. Oh, chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen to this, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Even John warned the church against this. And so the same tactic is at play with the same purpose in mind. To steal you away from the King of Kings. Or to keep you in a place of shame. So that you don't see the truth for what it is. 
eat was tempted. And they were deceived. They were deceived. What is the definition of being deceived? Listen to this. Deception. It's an act of causing someone to accept as true or valid, which is false or invalid. It's an act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. Satan, many times in the world, is referred to as the deceiver. And so what does this say about him? He will try daily whilst being busy tempting you to deceive you, to try and get you to believe that which is false to be true. That which is false to be true. And it's the same thing he did here. He got them to doubt the word. First tactically he got, the first thing he used to deceive them was to doubt God's word. He said to the women, did God actually say? Did God actually say? Just subtly questioning God's word. How is it possible that you can fall for this tactic? To doubt God's word? Did God really say? You know, in the last four years since COVID, there has been many predictions about Judgment Day. Not the end times. The specific day that Jesus will return, Judgment Day. Yes, even a guy last year, 23rd of September, and then came when 23rd came and gone, he said, no, 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 sorry, made a calculation area, 28th of September. And people share this on Facebook. And people start feeling anxious about this. How's this different from getting us to doubt God's word? Because what does God's word say about the judgment day? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, and not Facebook. Or Twitter. Not Twitter anymore. It's something else now. This is still Twitter. X. You see, I'm not on social media. That is an example of how we doubt God's word. How about this one? Did God really say that I'm not allowed to sleep with a lady? I'm not going to sleep around with anybody. I'm going to stay with her and we will sleep together. We don't have to be married. Yes, where does the Bible say that we actually have to get married and that sex is confined to the marriage bed? I mean, we staying together is as good as being married. Well, if you read the letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, chapter 6, specifically dedicated to sexual immorality, and he addresses all of these things in this chapter. And then chapter 7, he starts off by saying, concerning these things, all these things I've just written to you about sexual immorality, concerning these things, it is good for a man to have 
his own wife. And for a wife to have her own husband. I don't know where the confusion came in. Satan got them to doubt God's word. And then he got them to twist God's word. Verse 3, but God said, this is Eve responding to the question of the serpent. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Surely you shall not die. If you go to chapter 2 verse 17, God gives the command. Nowhere there does he say you're not allowed to touch the tree. Go and read it. And so in this moment, the word is twisted. Words are added to the Bible, or words are taken away from the Bible. It's twisting God's word. It is repeating something that somebody said, but not in the way they said it, by adding or subtracting. In that moment, the word was twisted, and Satan just jumped onto it. Surely you will not die. And they did. Before this event, they would live for eternity. After this event, they died. Adam died at the age of 900 and something. Nowhere did it say they will die immediately. They died physically and they died spiritually. They died physically and they died spiritually. And so here's the thing. By getting them to doubt God's word, by getting us to doubt God's word and to twist it, he succeeded in removing the truth and the consequences thereof. And it became so much easier to ignore it. By just doubting God's word or just twisting it, you remove truth and the consequences of truth. And they ignored it. They ignored it altogether. Genesis 3, verse 6. She took of its fruit and ate. And she gave, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. You see, temptation is at its strongest in our lives when the word of God is at its weakest in our hearts. When you start doubting God's word, when you start adding to God's word or taking away, you know, some of you believe that it's not as bad to lie as it is to murder or abuse or kill. You believe lying is not as bad. Anybody? Now you're all too afraid. Yes, Proverbs 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You see, temptation is at its strongest in our lives when the Word of God is at its weakest. When we start doubting the truth or we start twisting the truth, holiness was lost in one instance. Because the highest authority given to mankind, the Word of God, 
was doubted and twisted. If this is no longer the highest authority in your life, if this has just become another voice, another place you go to for reference, another place you go to for research with all the others, this is no longer the highest authority in your life. And because of that, holiness was lost. And so how does the story apply to us? Satan is still using the same tactics. Daily trying to tempt you. And whilst he's busy massaging all these temptations, he's trying to make the word become less of important in your life. By doing that, doing that he is removing truth and consequences of truth and it becomes easy what's wrong if i do it what's wrong if i believe this in one instance a moment of sin holiness was lost but on that same day here's the great thing about god on that very same day, not next week, not the year after this happened, on that same day, he came walking, looking for them. I was looking for my glasses. Did you see it? Age is a bad thing. On that same day, came looking for them. Verse 9, Adam, where are you? If you find yourself in a place of shame, because of sin in your life. Adam, where are you? And what did he do? Verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Sure, I don't know if you understand what happened here. A loving father just lost a son and daughter. Loved them so much to still cover their sin. And in doing so, prophesied that in yes, in one act of sin, holiness was lost. But by covering their shame, prophesying that in one act of love, he will restore holiness unto his son's and daughters. What an amazing, loving Father do we serve. Maybe you find yourself on this side tonight. You have never come to that place where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then I want to say to you, there's a loving Father there is a loving Father that is crying out your name at this moment, calling you by name to return to His house. You might be sitting there thinking, Donnie, if only you know what I've kept myself busy with, you will not make such a statement. If you've got your Bible, just open it quickly with me. 1 John 1, verse 9. 
never doubt God's worth. If this is the highest authority in your life, never doubt it. If you find yourself in a place of shame, maybe even you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but because of temptation and giving in to temptation that we all do, this is still relevant and true for all of us. If we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father is crying out to you and He wants to cover your shame. doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter what you keep yourself busy with. If you earnestly seek Him tonight, He will cover and He will forgive. And He's crying out to you. Because here's the thing, you do not have to do this on your own. He, by grace, empowers us to overcome sin. But as a loving Father, He also forgives us and restores us if we come to Him. Let's close our eyes. It's Father, it's so evident. It's from the story and reading throughout the Bible that we will be tempted. And in our frailty, we will sometimes give in to this temptation. I thank you that you, in one moment, promise restoration unto you. In one act of love, you gave your son. So that we can be forgiven and our shame can be covered. But also, Father, that we do not have to keep on walking in this path of sin. That you have given us the ability to overcome it. You have given us the ability to say no to temptation. Father, this passage also tonight speaks into our hearts about your word. Is your word still the highest authority in our lives? And if it is, then we should be spending a lot of time in it. And so tonight, Father, we want to confess maybe just long holidays, busyness, cares of life. No more excuses. No more excuses. We choose tonight as a church, collectively and individually, to replace your words as the highest authority in our lives.